everyone. For the next few weeks, we're going to be re-airing some of our favorite guest episodes. We'll be back with new episodes soon. Enjoy! Just one more with Joanna and Daphne, a fitness and nutrition podcast for normal people who want to be more awesome. If you have trouble deciding between Just One More Cupcake and Just One More Kettlebell Swing, this is the podcast for you. I'm Joanna Shawflam. I'm an actor, a comedian, and a normal person. And normally I co-host the show with Daphne Yang, but today I am on a field trip to my wonderful homeland of Minnesota uh, to talk to a special guest who I'm going to introduce in just a second. It's going to be very exciting. Um, And before we begin, remember to talk to your doctor or medical practitioner before starting any workout or nutrition plan. Now, you're going to be so excited about our guest and this episode that you're going to want to rate us on iTunes, and I really can't wait for that to happen uh, because it helps other people find the show. Um, So rate us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever thing it is that you're using to listen to this. We want to hear how we're doing, and we want other people to hear how we're doing and want to listen to the show. So do us a favor, take a couple seconds, give us that little five-star rating. Uh, It really makes a difference, and it's not very hard. So thanks for doing that. Um, All right, enough preamble. It's time to introduce our guest. Our guest is Hannah Jastrom Auberg, who is a friend of mine from high school. (laughs) (laughs) But also does uh, other cool stuff. So, Hannah, who are you and what do you do? Well, I am, as you mentioned, Hannah Jester Mauberg. Recently, Auberg, I got married in January. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, I'm trained as a registered dietitian. I am doing communications type stuff with the University of Minnesota Extension. And I also dabble in things like writing and modeling. That's a little overblown. But... <laughs> Listen, I have cool friends. They invite me to do cool things. What can I say? (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Something I didn't even think about before doing this is that my Minnesotan accent is going to get way worse during this episode than it has been in any previous episode. So (laughs) listeners, I just want you to be prepared that my my inner Gap employee is going to come out. I worked at the Gap at the Mall of America, uh, I guess a summer and a Christmas after my freshman year of college. And when you say the same things over and over, you say oh, them yeah. like even <laughs> even mm-hmm. worse. It's like, my name's Joanna. Let me know if I can get you any size or style. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was almost boarding on Wisconsin there. <laughs> I, yeah, it's true. There's real, you know, shades as we go through here. Um, but uh, the reason I wanted to talk to you, Hannah, is because um, she is really great at using all the stuff. Um, when I talk to people who are either um, learning to cook or getting into cooking or specifically choose not to cook, one of the things that I always hear is that people feel like they are wasting money mm. or wasting food or the two things are the same mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things I think that keeps people, especially people who are like living by themselves or are living just with a partner or a roommate, mm-hmm. what keeps them from cooking. Um, and that is sad. And Hannah can solve your problems, <laughs> or at least can give you some like good tips uh, to get on the way to solving your problems and make those things less of a barrier mm-hmm. to entry. Um, so, first of all, how did you become this? How did you obtain this expertise? What path led you? Here? Well, like all great paths, mine started with my mom. 
I didn't really realize what an education I was getting in preventing food waste and cooking from scratch and all of that until I started living with people who didn't have that kind of home education. So yeah, um, my mother cooked from scratch. My dad went to or got his PhD at UW-Madison. And while they were there, they lived in an international housing setting. So my mom learned how to cook from all different cultures. Um, Previously, she'd grown up in Mitchell, South Dakota, home of the Corn Palace. Yes, I drove (laughs) through there this weekend. Uh, so she she learned how to um, expand her repertoire and then also got back to the basics. She was a big fan of um, Diet for a Small Planet. And so she was grinding her own wheat and making bread. She made her own tofu a couple of times, like everything from scratch, usually vegetarian. She oh, was yeah. a hipster before there were hipsters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, Which I think is a good thing to remember, too, if you're like into this sort of like new American food thing and you're, you know, doing meatless Monday and all that stuff. That stuff is great. We didn't invent it. Like it's been happening for a long time. It like comes out of this sort of like, you know, uh, awakening to the ideas that like what we eat affects the planet Mm -hmm. and that like there are other food cultures. Yeah. Uh, So there's history there, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So... I learned a lot from her, and then um, even more stuff was solidified when I worked at Trotter's Cafe and Bakery. Yes. So if you are not from the Twin Cities, um, Trotter's is this great, uh, like, I would call it a casual restaurant. It's counter service and stuff, but all of the food is really great, mm-hmm. and uh, you they really have a focus on, like, local ingredients and, and all that stuff. Maybe you can, if you have, if there's things I missed. Yeah. Yeah, uh, one of the big draws when I started working there, because like I knew they composted, and that was a thing that <laughs> killed me at my previous restaurant job. There was so much compostable waste going into the municipal waste, and that just like yeah. made me very sad, and I didn't have the capacity to take it all home and compost it with me. <laughs> when I uh, was working at the cheese shop, I was um, working with gift baskets, and so I was using all of this bubble wrap and like wrap that you like paper wrap that you put around Mm -hmm, stuff mm -hmm. and I was getting married at the same time so I was receiving all of this bubble wrap so Mm. I would take the bubble wrap (laughs) from my home into work so that I could like reuse it and eventually Matt was like this is insane you need to stop Uh, but I get that impulse (laughs) yeah 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 so those were uh two places where those habits got more entrenched and I learned more tips. And were you cooking in Trotters? Yes, I was. Um, I made soups and sandwiches and some entrees. Um, I didn't do any of the baking and I tried to stay away from making breakfasts because that was someone else's job. <laughs> and I wasn't always that good at flipping the eggs so that the egg wouldn't or the yolk wouldn't be broken. Sure. I like broken yolks, but that's not what people are paying for. <laughs> True. People are paying for those whole yolks. Um, Cool. So you worked at Trotters and then, um, where did, d- during this time, were you also cooking at home for yourself? Yes. That's been a constant, um, since the get go with a break when I went to Lawrence university in Appleton, Wisconsin for two years. And then I was on the meal plan, like most yes. people. And it was hard. I didn't realize how much cooking 
was a part of myself and made me feel like myself until I wasn't doing it regularly anymore. Totally. I think that that is something that, um, for people who do even a small amount of cooking as kids or teenagers or live in a house where there's where cooking is a big part of the family. I think that is, um, really jarring Mm -hmm. (laughs) to all of a sudden feel like you're basically eating at a restaurant three meals a day. Um, and it's not even about like gaining weight, but it's about, um, like I feel this way if I go on vacation, like I love going on vacation and Mm -hmm. eating out and eating great food. And then when I get home, I'm like, ah, I just want to make my own omelet. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, this is my food and I don't care if I eat eggs and spinach every day for five (laughs) days in a row. Mm -hmm. Although I'd so, I would complain about that so fast if it were at a food service establishment. Like, can you not change? Like, give me some options here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so you're cooking for yourself. Um, let's talk about food waste. Um, first let's talk about sort of like why caring about food waste is either a good idea or like why it matters to you. Yeah. Um, because I think, um, you know, that's not, it's not always obvious why that matters Mm -hmm. or it matters for different reasons to different people. Yeah. Why does it matter? Yeah. Well, on a national scale, um, 40% of the food in the U.S. goes uneaten. That's so insane. It just, like... 40% is so much. It is so much. Uh, that's 20 pounds per person per month, and that means you're wasting, like, $30 a month, and there are more exciting things you could be doing Absolutely. with that $30. Um, and then, like, on, on a social justice level, like, there are so many people who are food insecure. Right. That all- Which is, like... Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's sort of like a term that we use to describe people who like, um, can't be confident that they will always be able to have enough to eat. Yep. And maybe sometimes they do and sometimes they don't, but like, it's not a sure thing. Yeah. There's higher food insecurity and lower food insecurity. People who are highly food insecure might not know where their next meal is coming from like every day for five weeks. Um, lower food insecurity might not know where breakfast is coming from like once a month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the fact that there's this mismatch between uh, how much we're producing, how much we're eating, and how much other people could be eating mm-hmm. if our distribution channels and our thoughtfulness were a little bit more set up. Um, I'm a food systems person, so the whole like the big picture really appeals to me. Sure. Um, and then it comes down to the personal level of like I know farmers, I know producers. I've tried growing my own food. <laughs> I've watched other people struggle to like get the land um, and have the time and like be physically fit enough to produce the food. Mm-hmm. I don't want to waste their food. I don't want their like blood, sweat, and tears going to waste. Totally. Yeah. When we um, first joined a CSA and started meeting the people who worked on the farm, it like totally changed how we felt about our vegetables yeah, we were getting. Yeah. We're like we really can't let this rot in the crisper because <laughs> Sarah picked this, you know? Yeah. It's like, she's never going to know, but I'm going to know. Yeah. Well, and even, um, the first time I was around carrots growing, I had wonderful landlords who planted a garden for me. Whoa. Yeah. They really <laughs> like gardening. And was that in Minnesota? Nice. Yes. <laughs> Listeners. <laughs> Minnesota is the best place. <laughs> Don't listen to Daphne when she says California is the best. Minnesota is the best place. Oh, definitely. Um, so, like, watching the carrots grow 
all season. Like it took months. Yeah. And then you pull it up and you eat it in like two minutes. Mm -hmm. And I think about how I have carrots in my refrigerator all the time. That's a logistical miracle that that can happen. Mm Mm-hmm. I think about that if I'm, like, eating an apple in February. Mm -hmm. I'm like, someone grew this apple, and it took years for this tree to even start producing fruit. Mm -hmm. And then someone had to, like, care for this tree all season. It got This apple got picked in the fall. Mm -hmm. It's been stored ever since then. And Mm -hmm. then, like, got to a place where I could buy it and eat it. And it's an unblemished apple that's mostly spherical, like, (laughs) unlike 50 of its cousins. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's mind-blowing. And so... Preventing food waste is also a way of honoring the countless people who have made it possible for that food to be in my refrigerator. Mm-hmm. So I try, I try to come from a place of abundance, not from guilt. Like you are being a terrible person if you waste food. Like I like that. Yeah, uh, that uh, uh, slant on it. That's yeah. nice. <laughs> it's a yeah. It's a way to be grateful mm-hmm. and to show that gratitude. Totally. And I think that that is a great um, balance to the like money side, which is in a way totally selfish. There's Mm -hmm. this like really sort of um, like outward facing idea of like, you know, I want to be a responsible citizen within this food system. Mm -hmm. And then there's the the, like selfish part of me that is like, I paid a lot for those vegetables. I want to make sure that they don't like turn into mush in my crisper Yeah, because I don't want to just like rip up my $30 a month and set it on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And not only not let them uh, turn to mush, but like, how can I use as much of this thing as possible. So I'm not just like cutting the tops off my beets and throwing them away. Mm -hmm. Oh, (laughs) I'm going to make Hannah so sad during this episode. (laughs) Uh, Cool. Well, um, where did you get your strategies for these kinds of things? Or is it Mm -hmm. mostly stuff that you saw growing up or is it stuff that you sort of like developed as you saw like, "Mm, it's like, Greens are sitting in my crisper. Like, what am I going to do with those? Yeah. Uh, it was, again, mostly going back to my mom. Um, mm-hmm. I picked up a couple of tricks from trotters. Like, for example, very little of their bread goes to waste. Um, like, once once or, yeah, about once a week, they'll make croutons from the bread that's going stale. And sure. then still sell them. Like, hmm, good, good one dick trotter (laughs) totally well and you know that is a thing um that restaurants have to do because restaurants margins are so low it's really hard to make money at restaurants because there's so much um cost involved in running them um and so one thing that restaurants really do try to do is like use as much of each ingredient as possible Mm -hmm. because otherwise you can't make a living at Mm -hmm. your restaurant um so yeah croutons yeah and so commercial for trotters I guess that's why I'm so impressed with them they've been in business for over 20 years probably Mm -hmm. something like 25 and have maintained a mission to source as locally and as organically as possible and not only reduce food waste by like recycling it sort of and using it in other ways but also like I said with composting like that that takes logistics um, and it's something that's important to them so they do it totally so you picked up some strategies we're going to talk about the strategies so that we can uh, uh, disseminate them into our wide world of just one more listeners. Um, So let's talk first about the first one of these that I saw on a blog post that you wrote Mm -hmm. once, which is green stuff. Oh, we could talk about green stuff the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Hannah Auberg is here to talk about green stuff. (laughs) 
Uh, so what is green stuff? I'm looking at some, yeah. I believe. Yeah. So green stuff, again, this is something I picked up from my mom and then um, made it my own. So one day I saw her take some cilantro that was about to turn and blend it up with some vinegar. And then we put it on, I don't even remember what, and I was like, this is the most delicious thing, mom, you're a genius. <laughs> so from there, I... Um, I took the simple herb and vinegar idea and started adding more things um, like oil so that it would emulsify and um, be less mm, clumpy. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah, what I'm looking at is a jar. It's very green um, and it has, it looks almost like pesto or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, Give it a whiff. Ooh, okay. I feel like I'm on a cooking show. This is so fun. <laughs> ooh, it smells. Um, really herbaceous like there's a bunch of different stuff in there um it's like pretty uh thick um and it doesn't smell like super garlicky but it does have like a little bit of that sort of like garlic or onion or chive like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It smells like it would be really good on a sandwich or on some bread yes. or various things yeah do you want to do you want to take a taste of it sure <laughs> Ooh. I think this is the first time just one more has heard me eating. <laughs> oh, man. Mm, it's super good. Oh, and there's a little kick. Mm -hmm. um, it tastes, uh, I would say, like, more, it's it's brighter than pesto. It yes. has, like, more acid to yes. it. Um, and it has that little kick at the end that's, like, an. it's not, like, a spicy kick. It's, like, an oniony kick, kind yeah. of. Um Mm, it's super good. Uh, what did I just eat? <laughs> so, uh, I, I tried to keep it a little bit more simple so I could remember all the ingredients this sure. time. Because sometimes it gets into about a dozen ingredients and people start asking, like, well, there's nothing you're allergic in it. You're allergic to it. <laughs> you're fine. So just, just no nuts. It. Yeah, so this has um, an entire bunch of parsley, which I bought specifically for this purpose. So it wasn't like a, oh, it's turning, and so I just decided. Well, yeah. I was coming to talk to you on a specific day, so I don't really <laughs> expect you just to like look at your crisper on that day and like come up with something brilliant. Oh, yep. So um, there is one bunch of parsley, uh, three or four garlic cloves. So that's where the that allium kick is coming in. Um, I used pickle juice oh. for most of the uh, liquid. And when you say pickle juice, you mean that liquid that's left in like a jar of pickles yes. once you've eaten all the pickles? Mm -hmm. Mm hmm Yeah. And I also had a couple of, of um, sips of that as well because <laughs> oh, it's delicious. Uh, what else is in there? We have, um, for the oil, I used up the last remaining sesame oil that mm. I have. Um it, my favorite sesame oil is toasted sesame oil, and so Arthur brought with him like untoasted sesame oil, and I didn't really understand why anyone would buy it because it doesn't <laughs> taste as good as toasted sesame oil. So I used it in here. <laughs> there you go. So uh, you heard it here first. This is a great way to use up ingredients that your spouse brought home that you think is inferior, <laughs> so that you can replace it with your favorite ingredients. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um. So what else do we have in there? Um. Yes, yeah, so I kept it simple, and once I tasted that there wasn't quite as much kick as I wanted, mm -hmm. I added some lemon juice. Mm -hmm. Still not enough kick. So I took some homemade kombucha that had turned pretty vinegary <laughs> and added some of that, and that's what you're tasting at the end. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I feel like at this point everyone knows what kombucha is, but in case you don't, it's like fermented tea basically, mm-hmm. and it t- ends up having like a, a vinegary, sparkly taste. I really like it. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Um, and so then once you've made this jar of green stuff, what would you do with it? Oh, okay. So this is, <laughs> if we're talking breakfast, uh, you can mix it into your scrambled eggs. Oh, yeah. Give it a little bit more fluffy texture. Mm-hmm. Or once your eggs are done, you can put the green stuff on top of it. Um, Almost like um, like a salsa in some ways, yes. but like a green salsa. Yes, mm-hmm. salsa verde. Uh, in fact, I had one. It's hard to ruin green stuff. Like it, it's <laughs> we fairly like forgiving. Yeah. And one time I thought I did ruin it because like... I was doing the thing you should never do and adding salt directly from the container and then a whole bunch got in and I was like, oh dear. And then I tasted it and it was delicious <laughs> and I named it Salsa Verde ah. just so that people would know. It was very popular. Um, right. So you can use it anywhere you would salsa. I would totally eat chips with it. Um, you can also put it on sandwiches like you were saying. I like a lot of different things with peanut butter. Like Whoa. pickles and tomatoes. Don't knock it till you've tried it. So <laughs> I do enjoy a good um, open-faced peanut butter green stuff sandwich. Whoa. That is for a particular <laughs> palate, but if you have that palate, go, go for good it. Good for you. Uh, so it's also good on grilled cheese or to dip grilled cheese into. Um, it's great on pasta if you mm-hmm. don't have if you don't want to make pasta sauce. Like if it's this is very good for um, summer days because herbs are cheaper. You're like, oh yeah, I'll totally use a bunch of cilantro, and then you don't, and then you don't want to use jarred pasta sauce because sodium and sugar. Hello, <laughs> uh, and so this doesn't require turning on the stove. Um, so you can yes, put it on your pasta. I've added it to. Soup sometimes I need mm, a little mm-hmm. bit of help. That that's a very French thing to do is to like add a little bit of like pesto or something as the like garnish on the mm, soup, but mm-hmm. it also sort of like brightens it up, mm-hmm. makes it a little more zippy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then stir fries. Uh, put your stir fry on your rice and then add a, a blob of green stuff on the side. And that's more of a I think more of a Japanese thing to do to have like different things on your rice or next to the side of it. Um, really. It's so versatile. Yeah. <laughs> this will this will last a week or so. And it seems like, uh, so what I think you're saying is that, like, you don't make this the same way twice. Like, mm-hmm. you make it Mm-mm. based on what you have around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. More or less. So you have to trust yourself when you're making it. That's a thing that I think um, is when you go from talking about, like, cooking a recipe to using up all of the food that you mm-hmm. have and all your extras, one part of the jump there is trusting yourself and trying stuff yeah. and being ready to fail. Well, and here's the great part about trying and experimenting with things that you'd otherwise throw away. It's already... Like, it's already garbage. You're going to come out ahead <laughs> if you make something great. And if it's terrible, you've not lost anything. Totally. Yeah. Um, so if this is a jar that's like the size of like a normal peanut butter jar mm-hmm. or like jar of... Uh, jars. <laughs> I don't know. It's like a jar, jar size. Salsa. It's a normal, <laughs> normal jar size. Um, for a jar like this, about how much stuff does it generally take? You said like a bunch of salon or a bunch of parsley. Yep. Yep. And then let's see there, there were the four cloves of garlic, um, probably a half cup of liquid all told. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
So that would be like a starting place. Like start with that idea in your blender and then you can always add from there. Yeah. Yep. And that's the recipe that I have on the blog. It, um, it gives people some ingredients and some ingredient ideas and some sort of amounts and then some things to look for when you're making it. So, and like you taste as you go and then you do find out whether it's something you want to eat or something you need to keep adjusting. That's something that, um, has, you have to learn when you're cooking also, because when you're um, cooking from recipes, it's really easy to be like, I'm just going to follow the directions and I'll follow every step. And then at the end, I'll eat it and I'll either like it or I won't like it. And I have to constantly remind myself and remind my husband to mm-hmm. taste as you go. Mm-hmm. Obviously you don't want to be tasting like raw meat, but mm-hmm. like, you know, especially with something like this, like before it goes anywhere near your plate, you should have like a spoon in there yeah. and taste it and oh, just yeah. be like, do I like this? Yeah. And if not, like, does it need some salt? Does mm-hmm. it need some acid? Like, mm-hmm. does it need a little more oil? What would make me like this? Mm-hmm. As I was making this, I tasted it probably three times and made Arthur taste it twice. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's always good to get like, a second set of taste buds involved. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Well, I want to go make some green stuff. You said you have this up on a blog because we will link to it in the show notes for sure. Mm -hmm. If you're interested in making your own green stuff. Um, Cool. The next thing we are going to talk about is making stock. Making stock. Yes. This is a thing that um, opinions diverge wildly. For example, if you go to Joy of Cooking, love that cookbook. Yeah. It will say... Uh, prepare your vegetables for stock in the same way that you would for any other recipe. Wash them, peel them. Sounds like a lot of work. Not going to do that. <laughs> that's, I feel like that's very much the normal person side of just one more. It's like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to cut and wash a bunch of vegetables that I'm just going to boil away. Yeah. So, and that's what, that's something that I learned from trotters. Like they collected scraps, made the stock out of it. And everyone was happy. Mm-hmm. So for that, I collect um, three different types of vegetables. So anything oniony, uh, garlic skins, onion skins, the top of the onion and the bottom of the onion that you cut. So off. you're talking about like the papery stuff yep. that you that's on the outside. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, uh, the tops and bottoms of green onions and yeah. So anything in the onion family goes well in there. Anything in the carrot family. So I always cut off the tops and the very bottoms of carrots. Although now that I think about it, why do I cut the bottoms off carrots? (laughs) For the stock. Right, yeah. (laughs) If you're using it, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, And then parsley is in the carrot family as well. So the bottoms that I cut off of these, the parsley will be in the next. Like um, the stems kind of? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they were kind of brown. Mm -hmm. And I did want to do some quality control. (laughs) And then celery. Celery is always great in there. I stay away from anything in the broccoli or cabbage family because those can give off some sulfurous um, notes that most people don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, potato can kind of dull the flavor. Pepper. Mm. Yeah, it so, can be a little bitter. So I mostly stick with those things. Um, or if I'm peeling ginger, I always make sure to add the ginger peel in mm. there because that adds a nice flavor. And then apple. Whoa. Apple cores going in there. If you're not already eating them, like all the cool kids. <laughs> yeah, I have to say I've not started eating apple cores. <laughs> um, so are you like collecting this throughout the week? Or do you sort of know like I'm going to make this stuff and I'll, or I'm going to make stock so I'll like have this stuff around? 
It's definitely option A. So we have a quart size plastic container in the fridge. Um, so whenever we're cooking stuff, we pull that out and then start throwing the scraps in there. And then when you can't fit anything else <laughs> in the container, then it's time to make stock. Or like last night, um, I was making soup um, and there was enough in there that I was like, well, I'll just make a small batch of stock for the soup. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a pressure cooker, which I highly recommend. Ah. It is quick and economical and saves me from burning meat. Side note, I tried making short ribs because short ribs are delicious. I did not trust my nose. I smelled the burning smell and I was like, it's probably fine. It was not. Oh no. It was charred. Luckily, I retained one pair of short ribs and then cooked them in the pressure cooker, no burning, and it took a sixth of the time. Do you have one of those newfangled instant pot type things, or do you have like an older style pressure cooker? I have not cooker? leveled up to the instant pot, I don't as have. my mom has. Oh, yeah? But she lives in Japan, so they get all the fancy new gadgets. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I have never used a pressure cooker. Mm. Um, so you recommend? They're less scary now than when our moms were using them. Uh -huh. Yeah. They're, yeah. Not going to explode on you. No. <laughs> That's no. good. Yeah. So once I have all of my carrot scraps and my onion papers and all my celery, mm -hmm. uh, what do I do with it? You put it in a pot and cover it with water until everything is covered mm -hmm. and then bring it to a boil and then let it simmer for some amount of time, <laughs> whatever is convenient for you. Um, probably an hour is good if it's just on the stovetop. Um, I usually pressure cook stock for 20 minutes, and last night I just brought it up to pressure, turned it off, and let it come down again. Um, so, and again, this is a place where you can taste it afterward, or even taste it during while you're making it and see how it's going. If it has like a slightly bitter taste, don't worry about it because it'll probably all work out in the end. Um, but if you taste it and immediately spit it out, uh -huh. double check what you put in there. If there's like green um, unripe things, like an unripe part of your onion or your garlic, um, yeah, you may want to look out for that. Also, like don't, don't put... Uh, boiled things in the right. stock and watch out for it. Cause sometimes like we really cram that container and things get a little fuzzy. Don't use those. <laughs> I think that's a good distinction to make when we're talking about like using stuff up is there's a difference between like almost gone off mm -hmm. and like spoiled. Yeah. There's a difference between wilting and like getting kind of yellow mm -hmm. and going slimy. Right. We don't want slimy. Wilted and yellow is fine. Mm -hmm. Slimy, not so good. No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Cool. Um, and then uh, do you strain the stock then when you take it out of the pressure cooker? Yes. Yep. Um, strain it into a glass bowl or a metal bowl. Um, let it cool slightly and then put it into, I usually do glass jars mm -hmm. and uh, you can freeze it. Um, don't fill the glass jar all the way full because let's go back to science. Water expands and you might get some shattering. So what yeah. we usually do if we freeze stuff in jars is we'll like fill it most of the way, but not all the way to the top. And then we'll put it in the freezer without the lid on, ah. wait for it to freeze and then put the lid on Whatever. just to make sure it doesn't explode. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then that way the lid doesn't also compress as mm -hmm. things cool. Mm -hmm. uh, cool. And what do you use your vegetable stock for? Primarily, if I am making soups, um, it is also good for deglazing your pot. So if things are, um, if you're like sauteing, 
onions or carrots or something and things are getting brown and sticky, add a splash and then you can get all that caramelized goodness. You could use it in green stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it all goes back to the green stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is a little bit more of a challenge in the summertime when I'm not as interested in making soups, uh, but you can use it if you're cooking quinoa or if you're cooking rice. Um, any grain-based thing, you could probably use it for pasta. I've never tried that, but that sure. might give it a more savory feel. I have made pasta recipes that you cook almost more like risotto, mm. where you are cooking them in stock uh-huh. and sort of like um, like you you put the pasta in early and sort of brown or like toasted and then add some stock and it gets really like a little bit more mushy maybe, mm. but like um, very flavorful and mm-hmm. delicious. One so of my possible. the the way that I like to time the stock best is if I'm making something that needs hot liquid so that I'm not um, raising it to temperature twice. So that's why I did it last night. I was like, I need six cups of water. Wouldn't it be great if they were hot and infused with vegetable nutrients? And then I don't have to like make stock, cool it, and then. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're making risotto, you need a uh, hot liquid to add. Mm. So that would be a thing you could totally use it for. Um, Hot, hot liquids. <laughs> Love it. Uh, awesome. I am very inspired by uh, the simplicity of the ingredients that are required for mm-hmm. these things because, um, you know, we do throw out um, way more vegetable scraps than I would like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we use onions almost every time we cook. Mm-hmm. It's exciting to think that, like, I might not have to throw that stuff away. Yeah. You could probably also make, uh, like, dye with onion skins and Whoa. post something on Pinterest, but I'm not going there. <laughs> we'll, we'll stick to edible <laughs> edible projects for the moment. Um, so what about, uh, do you have other uses for fresh herbs that are, like, wilting? Or do they mostly go into the green stuff? They mostly go into the green stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you could use them in the same ways that I've described for green stuff. So like chop them up and put them in your eggs or into a salad or onto your pasta. You can sneak them in pretty much anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. Storage, like proper storage is so essential for keeping herbs uh, fresh for as long as possible. So dry, keep them dry. Sneak in a paper towel with the, the plastic bag if necessary. Or go completely the opposite way and put the stems in a glass of water. And then um, either keep them out on the counter where you can see them and remind yourself that yes, <laughs> yes you need to finish that batch of basil or again cover it with like a, a plastic bag and keep it in the fridge mm-hmm. good tips um earlier you talked about pickle juice mm-hmm. and said that you use it in the green stuff mm-hmm. and also that you just drank some of it yeah. <laughs> do you use it for anything else what's well, your story on pickle juice <laughs> <laughs> i came up with another use yesterday as I was like making sure I had all my ducks in a row for this podcast. <laughs> um, so I'm pregnant. Congratulations. Thank you. And funnily enough, not the first pregnant guest on this podcast, mm. but I'll leave that to the listeners <laughs> to figure out who else we've interviewed <laughs> was pregnant. So um, also, this is a long tangent, um, but House of Cards came out recently, sure. season five. And someone told me that um, it was maybe not his favorite season. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, well, when I'm watching it with my group of friends, maybe we need to play a drinking game then. <laughs> but I can't take shots. There but you I go. But I could take shots of pickle juice. <laughs> and I would similarly feel like, oh, man, here we go again. <laughs> pickle juice, the answer to what to do when <laughs> you can't drink and your friends can. I love that. 
It's good for sober people, good for Mm -hmm. pregnant people, Mm -hmm. good for people who have to work early in the morning. Yeah, um, good for people who like just sweat a bunch because, I don't know, they're training for a half marathon Mm -hmm. and like lost a lot of electrolytes. Ah, Mm -hmm. there you go. Um, Well, that's amazing. (laughs) I love it. Um, And then you said you wanted to talk about bread. Yes. What's what's there to talk about with bread? Okay. Well, um, so sometimes when you buy bread, it's sliced, Mm -hmm. which is like this amazing world that we live in where you can buy a sliced bread. And then the problem I found with that is like when it starts going moldy, it starts going moldy on every slice. And you can't just cut off the piece that's getting moldy and save the rest of the loaf. So um, if you're living by yourself or it's just the two of you, put the bread in the freezer. This is like a miracle thing that I discovered um, because I like toast as well. And when you're toasting something, it doesn't matter if it's been on the counter or if it's been in the freezer. I also learned frozen bread makes better grilled cheese sandwiches. Huh, that's interesting. crusty, crispy crust that you desire with frozen bread. When you do it, when you make a grilled cheese with frozen bread, do you bring the bread up to room temperature before you start mm-hmm. grilling? You leave it frozen? It mm-hmm. You're crazy. Well, I learned it from the internet, so someone on the internet is crazy. <laughs> Fair. Um, this is one we actually do. We actually do keep our sliced bread in the freezer and then basically just have all of our bread in toast form mm-hmm. um, because we can't go through it fast enough mm-hmm. and we like buying bread that isn't like super full of preservatives. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, one tip is if you buy bread that um, sometimes isn't like quite sliced all the way through, like um, I don't know how far their reach is, but we get bread from a company called Bread Alone, which is really great, but their sliced bread often is like a little bit stuck together. <laughs> so we'll come home from the grocery store with the bread at room temperature, pull apart all of the pieces, and mm-hmm. then put it in the freezer so that it comes out of the freezer mm-hmm. slice by slice. I think this is something that I didn't learn to do in my childhood because my mom made fresh bread and like four loaves at a time. And when they came out and were cool enough, we like eat a loaf because it's <laughs> fresh and delicious. Right. And then the rest of the bread didn't last long enough to go bad. Yeah. It's really a difference, I think, if you're uh, like a family of four or more versus if you're like one or two people mm-hmm. and like the difference in how your kitchen runs is like dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There may be people who are listening to this who are like, I never have food left over. <laughs> <laughs> because people are always eating the food. Mm-hmm. But to each each his or her own. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like that crouton idea. Yeah. I like the idea of uh, using bread. Um, there's also a lot of, um, since we're in Minnesota, a lot of like hot dish or like casserole type recipes yes. are designed to use stale bread, mm-hmm. sort of in the style of like bread pudding or something mm-hmm. like that. Where basically you like put your bread scraps in a pan and then cover them with like vegetables and cheese and eggs and then you bake them and it's delicious. Yeah, egg bakes, bread pudding, um, blending them up to breadcrumbs to make your favorite veggie burgers. Mm-hmm. That's, that's another thing trotters use their breadcrumbs for. And uh, yeah, I always feel so dumb when I need to make breadcrumbs and there's only fresh bread around. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, do what you gotta do. Yeah. Totally. You got to get your breadcrumbs. So this one, the next thing that you um, suggested we talk about involves jam jars. Mm -hmm. What are we going to, what are we doing with our almost empty jam jars? 
Well, you could get in there with a rubber scraper and try to get the last little bit out and put it on your um, freezer bread toast. <laughs> or if you're a milk or legume milk drinker, you can pour in like half a cup, shake it up real good, and it gets nice and frothy and um, takes all the bits of jam off the sides, and then you have a delicious, refreshing drink. Sounds super good. Mm -hmm. And I know my husband is going to do that immediately because <laughs> we go through so much jam in our house. We never used to. And then we started buying better jam and now mm -hmm. it goes really fast. <laughs> um, so like every, I feel like multiple times a week, I like, my husband gets up before I do. Mm -hmm. and I get up and look in the kitchen. There's like a jam jar sitting there empty. I'm like, we just bought that. Uh, but now it will be clean because mm -hmm. yes, he'll be drinking his jam milkshake. Yep, that that is straight from straight from mom, and she learned that in her um, in her childhood as well. Because yeah. perhaps you like me had grandparents that grew up in the depression era, mm -hmm. and man, do they have tips for making food stretch? Right, totally. Yeah, I mean, a good thing to do if you still have um, grandparents or older aunts and uncles who are living, ask them what they did to um, make food stretch, mm -hmm. um, especially if you're like a broke 20-something <laughs> and you're like trying to cook for yourself without, uh, you know, breaking the bank, mm -hmm. um, they're going to have some tips that you would have never thought of, I'm mm -hmm. sure. I never would have thought of jam, jam milk, but it sounds delicious. <laughs> Maybe not with that name. We might have to give it another name. Um, do you have any good meals that you make if you like just have a bunch of vegetables in your crisper and you're like I need to like clean all this stuff out either because like like for my uh, example like my CSA share is coming tomorrow yeah. I still have stuff left from the week oh, like man. how do mm -hmm. I clear this out so it's not like taking up my entire fridge yeah yeah so there's there's a couple of like categories um, I'm not a big smoothie person, but I hear it's kind of a thing. Yeah, Daphne so, <laughs> talks about smoothies all the time. <laughs> so if some of the, the veggies in your crisper are green type, um, you can make a smoothie with like the greens, some kind of fruit, some kind of liquid, and some kind of bulking agent like mm -hmm. yogurt or ice or peanut butter. Um, <clears throat> talk to more about Daphne about that, I guess. <laughs> Frittatas and omelets are a great way to get some of those guys in. Frittata, we make a ton of frittatas during the CSA season mm. because it is just like, what do we have? We can put an entire thing of kale in this frittata <laughs> and the two of us will eat it and it'll be out of our crisper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we make a lot of frittatas. Yeah. Uh, refrigerator salad. So f uh, find a starch like pasta, little bits of pasta, um, a protein like garbanzo beans is my favorite, and then cut up as many veggies as seems appropriate, and then find a dressing or green stuff to bring it all together. Uh, that's a favorite. Garbage soup, I don't really like the name, <laughs> but you can get a lot of things into soup for sure. And again, um, find a starch, find a protein, put in all the veggies you want, and then some sort of broth. The Perhaps trick with the all those stuff. things, I think, is um, seasoning it the way that you like, mm -hmm. um, because... Um, sometimes leftovers like dull in flavor a little bit in the fridge. Other ones sometimes get stronger in flavor. I once ate leftover spicy ramen and oh my <laughs> God, it was so spicy. <laughs> uh, but most things dull in flavor a little yeah. bit. So I think oftentimes people will be like, oh, I'll try that. Like, you know, make a soup out of leftovers thing. Mm -hmm. And then they taste it and they're like, oh, this doesn't taste like anything. Mm -hmm. I'm going to throw it away. Mm -hmm. It's like, you might have to like add some salt or add yeah. some green stuff mm -hmm. or like, and some to... thyme 
Dress it up a little bit. Some savory, Mm -hmm. some basil, some oregano, my Mm. favorite herb. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, and then my favorite bagel dinner. Bagel dinner? Yes. What's bagel dinner? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, is it bagel dinner? No, no, no. Bagel dinner is good. <laughs> but what is it? So uh, you get a dozen bagels and you invite your friends over and you pull everything out of your refrigerator that could possibly fit or balance on a bagel. <laughs> and then you let your creative juices flow and see what combinations come up. So, I mean, I could spend about 20 minutes listing all the different kind of ingredients you can put onto bagels and the combinations. Uh, So this is, but one thing that you can do if you have, I'm thinking about carrots, like if you have a bunch of carrots and you need to clear them out, you could make a a carrot dip that turns into a spread for for your bagel dinner and um, impress all your friends with that. Uh, You can put non-traditional, greens on your bagel. So right now I have a a head of Napa cabbage that just will not go away. Some of that Napa cabbage found its way into the green stuff. Um, Leaves of that could be on a bagel instead of lettuce. Yeah, I love bagel dinner. Totally. Well, this sounds to me like another version of a type of food that is so hot right now, which is toasts. Yes. Um, So like you could do the same thing uh, with like you know, toast mm-hmm. instead of bagels, mm-hmm. just like put whatever on there and then yep. you can like charge $12 for yeah. it. So. Your friends might not enjoy that part. Right. <laughs> but you can feel like you're doing like a fancy Pinteresty dinner thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so you could also do homemade pita or pizza with the same idea, um, either using pita bread or lavash or like English muffins or bagels or tortillas. Mm-hmm. Why not? Oh yeah, that I... Yeah, green stuff goes great in tortillas, Mm. no matter what's in there. (laughs) Uh, Finally, roasting vegetables. Once you roast vegetables, you can eat them so much more quickly. Like, I might sit down and eat a single raw carrot, and it takes only, like, five minutes. Or I could roast five carrots and eat them in a minute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that is a thing that... uh, So I've talked about this on the show before, but there's a book that I can never remember the name of, but it's about basically how like learning to cook our food um, allowed humans' brains to get bigger because Mm. we weren't spending all of our energy on eating raw food. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's just easier to digest and eat cooked food. Mm -hmm. Uh, My favorite like time-saving for that is cabbage. Often people think about eating it raw in a slaw. You can cut it into like steaks Mm -hmm. and roast it and eat an entire head of cabbage in one sitting. Don't oh. recommend it, but it's possible. Um, so if you're doing that, you're like cutting it into slices. Mm-hmm. Do you then like put it on a sheet pan with like oil? Like yeah, well, I brush both sides with oil. Usually, sprinkle salt. Um, I haven't found the perfect time and temperature combination, but 400 is always a good uh, start. And then start off with 15 minutes flip it and then try another 15 minutes, start poking it, eating it, checking it out. Yeah. Cause that's one cabbage is one of the ones that has like been our constant challenge is like, how do we eat all oh, this cabbage? Yeah. Roast it. It'll be gone. That uh, sounds like a great idea. <laughs> um, and then how do you decide when something is too far gone? I mean, we talked about a couple things. If it's mm-hmm. fuzzy, <laughs> it's not so good. If it's slimy. Yep. 
And then if it's, it's if it smells terrible. Mm. So for that, you have to have uh, a reliable sense of smell. So if you have a cold, um, that's not <laughs> the top time to decide <laughs> when things are good or not. Err on the side of safety for mm-hmm. that one. The, the thinking about this has changed in the past couple of years. Food safety people used to say, when in doubt, throw it out. Um, or adhere by the best buy dates or, you know, use by dates. And that's changed because of this, this problem of 40% of our food going uneaten. So now they're saying more often, like, yes, rely on your eyes and your fingers um, and your nose to tell if it's still good to eat or not. If you have, if you are immunocompromised or someone in your house is, like if there's a baby or um, a old person, like again, err on the side of safety. We don't want to give anyone food poisoning. And if something, you know, some people like will date things. I've yeah. Never... Like write dates on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. We're actually really that. good about that no. in our house because we label everything that goes in our fridge because otherwise we don't eat it. Ah. So we put, we keep a pad of like tiny post-it notes by our fridge and just anything that goes in there we put what it is and the date on it. Yeah. Um we will eat it for like a really long time after that date, but at least we know like what it is mm-hmm. and when we like if we have two things of rice in there, which happens to oh, us a uh-huh. lot, we know which one is the older yeah. thing of rice. Yeah. It's nerdy, but that's no, the thing that it, came from working in restaurants. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you could use post-it notes. You could use masking tape. Mm-hmm. Um, you could use those little like dot stickers at garage sales. Totally. For some reason, I have a ton of those. Um, yeah. And for <laughs> when you're initially blending households and they're like, you know what that unlabeled jar of oil <laughs> is, but your new roommate does not. <laughs> totally. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so these tips are awesome. How does knowing all this stuff affect how you shop for food and for Mm. groceries? So part of it is that I look for organic vegetables that are going to end up in the stock. Because if I am going to use all of it, um, if I am, like I don't peel carrots anymore, I just scrub them. So I want to make sure that in scrubbing them, I can remove all of all of what's not good mm-hmm. on there. Um, and if it's just dirt, that's better than pesticides. So also because I'm saving money and like doubling down on vegetables, I can afford to spend a little bit more on organic. Um, also because I'm making sure that I'm eating everything. I don't have that $30 that I'm tearing up and burning. Right. <laughs> so can I, I can afford to make, um, more, more price sensitive purchases I tend to only buy what I have a plan for or only buy things that I have a track record of using in the past. So if canned tomatoes are on sale, sure, buy canned tomatoes because we use them all the time. Um, If fresh herbs are on sale, sure, I'll buy them because I know (laughs) you're going to make some great stuff. So I think it's like bulk deals are really attractive, but you have to know that you've used them a million times in the past or like have a plan like Saturday, I'm going to make five blueberry smoothies and put three in the freezer. And like, that's just going to be a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I, I tend to keep a pretty light larder and pantry because I just feel, I don't know. That's just the way that I roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, that is the, like, have a plan for what you're buying thing is totally key. Um, and if, like, you're, you want to make a recipe so you know it's going to involve buying stuff 
and a couple of the ingredients you're not going to use the whole thing, mm-hmm. use that to plan another meal that you're going to cook that week so you like have a plan for using it up. Yeah. Um, and if you have trouble figuring out like what you're going to make with like, you know, that second uh, try now, of course, I can think of no ingredients. <laughs> bell pepper. Yeah, sure. So I'm using half a bell pepper. I don't know what I'm going to do with the other half. The beauty of the internet is that you can search for bell pepper recipes mm-hmm. and find stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that being just an example. But like you can search by ingredient on a lot of sites and mm-hmm. that will help you. Yeah. Uh, I bought some eggplant on an impulse the other day and I had a plan for two of them, but the third one was up in the air. Um, and then yesterday, going back to the soup, I made chickpea noodle soup from Veganomicon, one of my favorite cookbooks. And it called for two pounds of mushrooms. Well, I didn't have mushrooms. Arthur is allergic to mushrooms. But what's also a spongy vegetable? Eggplant! Ah, very smart. (laughs) That's something I learned from former roommates following recipes is they don't know what to substitute or if they can substitute in a recipe. You can substitute practically anything. And again, the beauty of the internet is it will give you ideas. I didn't have celery seeds, but the internet said dill seeds were an acceptable substitute done. Totally. And I think that's really, really the case in things like soups and pastas and all that salads, any of that stuff, like you can totally substitute. Baking is a little tricky. (laughs) So I would definitely like consult the internet before you do any um, swapping out in baking because baking is more of like a chemistry project. Um, But uh, cooking, roasting, any of that stuff, like replace away. Mm Totally. Totally. Awesome. Well, this was all really helpful, and I know that you have even more uh, knowledge to share with the world. So if people want to find you on the internet, where should they go? Well, there's three main places. I'm on Twitter at Jastrady. That's a pun. J-A-S-T. That's part of my last name. And then R-D, because I'm a registered dietitian. There you go. So it's a little R-D humor. Uh, same handle uh, for Instagram as well. Um, I think I'm the only one that uses the Flavor Maven hashtag. Um, I also used to post a lot of pictures of my hair. So if you like hair, yeah, it does have very cool hair. <laughs> if you're interested, um, <clears throat> and then I also blog at landfoodlife.blogspot.com, and that's where the green stuff recipe is. I will make sure to include all of that on our show notes which you can always find at justonemorepodcast.com. Um, so I'm going to do a little takeaway here. Um, we're, we've been talking to Hannah jastrom Auberg about how to make the most of our um, ingredients and the food that we buy. Um, and uh, I would say like the overarching theme is don't be afraid to explore um, and try stuff and see what you like. Um, and don't give up if halfway through you think it's maybe like not quite there. You can totally get it there. Um, we're going to uh, try to save ourselves money and also save the world from food waste by using up every little bit of stuff. So we're going to make some green stuff and put it on literally everything. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to um, uh, make vegetable stock. Uh, we're going to you know drink our pickle juice. <laughs> uh, you know keep our bread in the freezer. Make some uh, milkshakes with jam jars um, and. Uh, have a plan for the stuff that we buy so that it ideally doesn't even end up sad and lonely in our crisper. Mm-hmm. Um, 
anything I missed or anything you want to make sure to say before oh, we go? Oh, yeah. You know, I had a roommate who would buy fresh berries, and fresh berries are delicious and expensive and spoil quickly. And after watching many containers go fuzzy, I said, well, you know, you could buy frozen berries and they wouldn't go bad. And she hadn't thought of that before. And that was, that was another moment where I thought, okay, I have knowledge in my brain that other people do not. And maybe it's okay to share it once in a while. <laughs> so that's another thing, you know, I almost never buy frozen or fresh spinach because frozen spinach never goes bad. Totally. And frozen fruit and vegetables, um, I think sometimes people feel like they're not as nutritious, but it's not, it's just scientifically not the case. Like they're often um, like picked and frozen at a better time of year than you might even mm -hmm. be buying it because when um, like big companies are making frozen berries, they're like picking them all at like the peak of ripeness. Yes. Um, so don't be afraid of the frozen stuff. Something I often do if I see fresh berries on sale, um, that's usually because they're about to go bad. So I'll make sure they're not bad yet, <laughs> buy them, eat some right away, and then freeze the rest. Yes. Um, that's a great strategy. Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, Hannah, thanks for joining us on the yeah, show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to go make some green stuff. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne. Our show is hosted by Daphne Yang and me, Joanna Shawflam. We're produced and edited by me. Our theme music is by Hannah vs. The Many, who you can hear at hannahvsthemany.com. We'll be back next week. You can make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to Just One More on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. For show notes and help subscribing, you can go to our website, justonemorepodcast.com. Let us know what you think. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at justonemorepod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash justonemorepodcast, or you can email us at info at justonemorepodcast.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.